Welcome to another episode of the MMA Lockcast. I'm your host, Manpreet, a.k.a. MMA Lock of the Night, your boy on social media at MMA LOTN and the architect behind the MMA Fight Archive. I won't make this plug as long as I normally do for the Fight Archive, but if you do your own studying and you're wondering how I know so much about these fighters I'm about to talk about, and not to mention all the other regional shows I normally cover, the MMA Fight Archive is how we have direct links to past fights for all the upcoming competitors on these cards, not just for the UFC or PFL or Bellator, but a plethora of other promotions from all over the world. So make sure you guys check it out with a seven-day free trial, which is available with a link in the description below. Check it out for yourselves, especially if you do your own studying. I promise you it will save you a boatload of time. Check it out once again, the MMA Fight Archive. All right. This week, second episode of the Lockcast, because we got a PFL card to break down and is the long-awaited PFL versus Bellator Champs edition. Now, I will say right off the bat that I am not as impressed with this card as I originally expected to be. The whole point of this was to have the champions from Bellator face off against the champions against PFL, but it seems like they took a little bit too long in terms of securing the contracts and all the things required for this event to take place, and it seems to have just fallen apart and there's only real, really two fights where it's champion versus champion. Obviously, in the main event, we got the heavyweight uh, champions going at it here, where it's uh, Henan Ferreira going up against Ryan Bader. And then in the co-main event, I believe it's the co-main event, we have middleweight champion from Bellator, uh, Johnny Eblen, taking on light heavyweight champion Impa Kasanganai, who has previously competed in the middleweight division, hence why they are lining up the two since the PFL never had a middleweight division to begin with. Well, that makes you wonder, where did the light heavyweight champion for Bellator go? It seems like Vadim Namkov has vacated that title and now finds himself at heavyweight. And he'll be fighting on this card as well against Bruno Capeloza. A lot of weirdness to this card. It's only three rounds. There's no real title on the line other, some, other than some made-up PFL versus Bellator champs uh, title. Very weird, all in all. But the the thought of it is obviously very impressive, uh, very fun, and it should be entertaining, especially with some of the matchups that we got coming up for this card. Uh, again, still going to watch it. It happens in the afternoon on Saturday, so it's a bit of an appetizer for the UFC Mexico City card, which goes down right after it. Um, but yeah, it it's fights. At the end of the day, it's fights, and I'm here to break them down for you guys. And just a reminder, last year, I only did UFC and Bellator breakdowns for the YouTube page, but considering that PFL has now absorbed Bellator, luckily for you guys, I will be doing PFL and Bellator breakdowns throughout the year. So you don't need to worry about uh, whether I'm going to be doing breakdowns for those cards. All PFL cards, all... Um, all Bellator cards will be broken down. I'll consider PFL Europe as well, but uh, the main branded PFL cards I will be breaking down for you guys. All right, let's not waste any more time. Let's get right into this card. We got uh, a brief breakdown of every single matchup coming up, so it won't be the usual 45 minutes to an hour breakdown that I normally do for the full UFC cards, but I'll get through as much of these uh, matchups uh, as briefly as possible so I'm not jibber-jabbering too long. All right, let's get right into it. First fight of the night is we got Saudi representative Abdullah Al-Qahtani coming in at minus 1,800. He's entrenched as the biggest favorite on the card. He's going up against Indian 
Edu Kendala Rao. Now, this is a complete mismatch as the odds are indicating here. Rao is a fighter that came from the Indian mixed martial arts scene, but as we all know, India is kind of behind the times in terms of being competitive on a global stage. This Rao guy seems to come from a striking background and he throws a lot of kicks. He whips a lot of kicks. He tries to be a little bit flashy and then off of his back, he seems to like to throw up the triangle choke, but if he's unable to secure that, he more than often gets grinded out or is able to be defeated pretty easily. He seems to be a little bit too confident in his skills, which you can't bang on him for, right? Like, as a fighter, you got to go out there and be confident in the skills that you have. But I think as he starts fighting the global opposition that he'll be facing, if he continues to get a contract to the PFL, he's going to realize it's probably not enough. Akatani is a great fighter and, dare I say, the best Saudi fighter to be on the stage right now. This guy goes out there, utilizes a volume-heavy approach with his striking, very consistent with his jab down the pipe and good combination striking behind it, but also has a wrestling game that he can back up on if that's what he's required. Um, he's a very slick and smooth striker, doesn't often find himself out of positions and doesn't overextend on a lot of his combinations. I fully expect him to go out there and touch up Rao from distance and that's where it kind of leaves the 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 rat the risk right that the gambling because you don't want to play minus 1800 even in a parlay it doesn't do enough for the parlay so you want to look at the over under which is currently set at one and a half the under being minus 125 the over being minus 105 i believe it is um people are gonna want to think okay if we have a minus 1800 favorite here Take the under. If he's minus 1,800, he should go out there and smash his opposition. The thing is with uh, al Katani, the guy likes to go out there and pitter-patter his opponents. There were numerous times where I felt like he could have gotten his last opponent out of there, but it seemed to just stay within himself, stay disciplined, stay technical, and just stayed at distance and picked him apart. That could absolutely happen here. Rao leaves so many openings in terms of being countered or having uh, an opponent change levels on him, take him to the ground and smash him from that top position. And I believe al Katani has all the skills in the world to go out there and finish this guy it's just does he have the 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 bloodthirsty taste to actually go out there that bloodthirsty drive to go out there and get the finish here so i don't want to leave it up to chance here i'm going to pass as a whole but i think alcatani definitely dominates in this matchup i'd be very surprised if rao has any success if at all all right, moving over to the next matchup, we got Clarissa Shields coming in at minus 450. She's taking on Kelsey DeSantis, who comes in at plus 350. Now, on the Clarissa Shields side, the last time she stepped in a cage for MMA, she suffered her first defeat. That was at the hands of Abby Montez. I believe that was in October of 2021. Um, the fight did not go her way. You know, she, we saw what happens when she finally fights somebody that's going to legitimately try to take her to the ground and keep her away from the boxing advantage she normally has has when she steps in the cage but i have a lot of question marks in terms of her commitment to the to the mma game we know boxing is what she relies on mostly and i don't know if she makes enough money from the boxing room hence why she's taking these opportunities from pfl she's young enough she's 28 years old she has all the time in the world and if she can rake in a couple extra bucks fighting for the pfl and i'm sure a decent amount of money amount of money that they're throwing at her why not go for it even if she ends up losing those matchups she's still one of the best fighters in terms of boxing and that's mainly what i believe she cares about here's another interesting aspect to throw into this fight this was scheduled to take place at 155 pounds i believe it was last week they switched it to 165 pounds do you think it's kelsey desantis that was trying to get that weight change Probably not. It was probably Clarissa Shields realizing that she was not going to be able to cut the extra 10 pounds 
or the fact that maybe she's not taking this all that seriously. Maybe she's just posting a couple of things on Instagram to be like, look, I am getting in a little bit of work, but how much work is she actually getting in and how is she going to deal with somebody that's going to be looking or take her to the ground just as I believe DeSantis does. Now, DeSantis leaves a lot of things that she wish she was able to shore up. Her striking, not that good. In her last matchup, she was getting teed off on up against the cage by her opponent before she was able to showcase her durability, resilience, and power that she possesses as she was able to land a beautiful counter to drop her opponent and get the victory. Now, this is a fighter that had her professional debut back in 2013, and then after that, she had two kids, she got two degrees, she had some injuries as well from what I heard, but she's also been utilizing her jiu-jitsu background and going out there and competing in competitions. I believe within the last four or five months, she achieved her BJJ brown belt, which is more than enough for me to want to take a half unit shot on a fighter that's plus 350 against a boxer like Clarissa Shields. Now, DeSantis is strong, she's physical, and she might have that ability to get this fight to the ground. We just haven't seen it from her recently, so that gives you a little bit of concern whether she actually has a good enough wrestling game to get a fighter like Shields down. But for somebody who's dedicated their life to mixed martial arts and, and the grappling realm compared to somebody who's just been boxing for the majority of their career... I don't understand why this line is this wide. It was, I believe, just as wide when uh, Shields fought Abby Montez. And we got a solid win from Montez there. I'm going to try to go back to the well here again by fading Clarissa Shields in the MMA cage and take a shot on DeSantis, hoping that she comes in here with a solid grappling game plan. And she might struggle at first because Shields will likely be a little bit stronger. But as long as she can stick on her and try to drag this fight to the ground, her BJJ brown belt is going to clearly expose uh, Clarissa Shields and the lack of ground skills that she has. So give me DeSantis here, uh, plus 350 by submission, worth a shot. All right, moving on to the next fight, we got Biagio Ali Walsh going up against Emmanuel Palacio, minus 1,200, obviously, on Ali Walsh, plus 750 on Palacio. Now, the PFL has invested heavily in Biagio Ali Walsh as he is the grandson of Muhammad Ali, so obviously there's that storyline, but it helps the fact that he trains out of the gym that uh, PFL CEO, I believe his title is, Ray Seffo, uh, he owns Extreme Couture, and Ali Walsh trains at Extreme Couture, so I understand why they're investing in him as an amateur i believe they gave him four or five fights the five fights in the pfl as an amateur something you don't see uh you know high level mma organizations doing at all is showcasing amateur talent but he seems to have the striking he throws on nasty intentions and he has some big knockout power as well he lost his first professional or sorry first amateur fight back in mid 2022 when he was unable to finish his opponent early who was able to eventually get him to the ground and sink in a rear naked choke to get him out of there but a lot of the guys that walsh has been going one up against recently have been unsuccessful in terms of taking him to the ground he's either too strong too fast or too powerful that they're unable to get in on the hips decently to try to even get this fight to the ground obviously as walsh continues to take steps up in competition he will be challenged in that realm a little bit more but i'm sure the pfl is hoping by then he'll have that skill set rounded out so that if fights do ever hit the ground he won't be as in much trouble as most people would expect him to be his opponent this weekend palacio is a 19 year old just turned 19 in january if i'm not mistaken Excuse me. Uh, and he has some kickboxing experience under his belt. But the only MMA fight that we have of footage on him doesn't look that great. Uh, he seems to have the basics of striking down, which is good and all. But like on the ground, he submitted his opponent from what it looked like a modified arm triangle choke, which it seemed like his opponent was more uncomfortable more than anything. So he just tapped. 
Um, but Ali Walsh will be the toughest test of his career, and I think the speed and power of Walsh will end up being too much for Palacio here. Um, the under one and a half now with Walsh fighting five minute rounds compared to the three minute rounds he was fighting prior, this might suit him a little bit better if you want to chase that under one and a half. But I think his power and speed is going to be too much for the youngster here, and this will open up finishing opportunities for Walsh within the first round. So I like the under one and a half most, roughly around that minus one seventy, minus one eighty range. Uh, again throwing in a minus 1200 a little bit skeptical especially for somebody so young in their career uh, i did it with Rinya nakamura the other week but i believe that there was a significant enough skill disadvantage there and nakamura has been proven against decent competition whereas biagio ali walsh like we still have some question marks about the guy i just don't think that palacio was the guy to expose him in any sort of fashion here so give me walsh and walsh by knockout in round one all right, moving on to the next fight. We got Aaron Pico coming in at minus 450 as he rematches Henry Corrales, who comes in at plus 350. Now, if you guys remember, these guys actually competed back in 2019, I believe it was, which is when uh, Corrales was able to get the knockout um, over him in just over a, one minute of action. Uh, Corrales was obviously way more experienced than Pico at that time, and Pico was still trying to find the best way for himself to train and how to uh, establish his style inside the cage. Now he is 8-1 over his last nine fights. That one loss coming by shoulder injury against Jeremy Kennedy, but the kid has looked pretty damn good and is finally coming into his own. From his wrestling background to his improved striking abilities, which he has had uh, experience in even before coming to the MMA cage, he really looks like he's starting to shine and find the comfort that he needs to be successful inside the cage. This might be the perfect time for him to go out there and get revenge over a guy like Henry Corrales, like I said, who was able to finish him uh, a couple years back. And add in the fact that Corrales is coming in on short notice as Pico was originally scheduled to fight Gabriel Alvarez Braga or Braga Alves, who was stepping in to fight Patricio Pippo later on in the card. Uh, Al, uh, Corrales, you got to wonder, was he in fight shape? Was he ready to go? He's flying across the world to take this fight. It leaves a lot of question marks here, but he's a veteran. 37 years old, has a ton of experience, uh, has been looking good as of late. I thought he deserved the victory over Kai Kamaka last time around. He lost a close split decision that night. Still looking good. Nice calf kicks, good striking down the pipe. If he's able to implement his calf kicks here, he could slow down Pico and uh, make this a lot tougher than Pico was originally expecting it to be. But I'm expecting these guys to throw down. I'm expecting there to be some grappling situations in this matchup. The spot that I'm kind of looking at is the over two and a half. I know Pico has been finishing a lot of his opponents lately. Corrales has been going to a decision. Um, but I feel like we'll see Pico try to showcase his entire MMA skill set here. And that includes grappling, which will and eventually cause this fight to you know take off some minutes and possibly even go over that over two and a half round mark so i'm gonna go pico here think the line is a little bit too wide corrales is a legitimate dog of a veteran and already has the confidence edge here in my opinion as he holds a win over pico already but i think the over two and a half is probably the best way to get some money out of this matchup but i'm gonna go pico and pico by decision Next up, we got 2023 PFL finalist Clay Collard going up against former Bellator champion AJ McKee Jr. Now we got plus 225 on the boxer Collard and minus 265 on McKee Jr. We'll start off on Collard's side, who obviously was able to go out there and uh, get that finalist opportunity last December or November, I believe it was. But he came up short against Olivier Aubameyang, who was the reigning champion going into that matchup. And it seemed like the overall MMA game of Aubameyang was too much for him. We know Collard is a striker first, and he likes to walk his opponents down, utilizing his combination striking style 
to either knock his opponents out or I'll point them en route to a decision victory. McKee Jr., a little bit more complete in my opinion. He's still a guy that's trying to find his footing in the lightweight division. In his last fight, he was on his back for the majority of that against Sidney Outlaw, who's a very strong grappler. But Outlaw was mostly trying to control why AJ McKee was the one landing the damage, ultimately allowing McKee to get his hand raised by decision that night. But McKee Jr., who is a guy that utilizes speed, uh, height, and size advantage uh, for himself uh, in the featherweight division is trying to make up for the size and strength disadvantage he might be at in some of these matchups at 155 pounds. But he's still young enough. He's still growing into his body. And I think that this is a guy that can be successful at 155 pounds with continued improvements and experience at this division. This is a great matchup for both guys. But I think that McKee Jr. is the rightful favorite. And I believe that he should be able to go out there and put on a total MMA package against Collard. Collard might be able to get off on some solid shots in the striking realm. But I expect McKee Jr. to be competitive in the striking realm. And then eventually look to take this to the ground where he should be to be able to secure solid control. Maybe even snatch up a submission. But I ultimately think it's going to be his ability to control this fight that allows him to get his hand raised. So I'm going to go McKee key junior and i think he puts on a grinding type of clinic and wins this fight on the scorecards all right next up we got tiago santos coming in at minus 130 representing pfl as he takes on the bellator representative yoel romero who comes in at plus 110 this is such a weird matchup between two former ufc title challengers guys that never really got to break through to that next level because they were either going up against john frickin jones or they're going up against israel adesanya and both of those guys were able to defeat them tiago santos has been on a very rough stretch as of late and even in his pfl debut he came up short against razor rob wilkinson who was able to utilize a grapple heavy approach and grind out tiago santos unfortunately for wilkinson he tested positive for uh, drugs in going into that fight so that fight ended up being a no contest and in preparation for his next matchup Tiago Santos ended up testing positive for drugs himself and he was disqualified from the PFL tournament now he tries to make his return and tries to get back off onto the right foot with the PFL promotion and he goes up against a Yuval Romero who has had his own troubles in the Bellator cage he had a title shot against Vadim Namkov last time around, but all of his posturing and pot shotting did not come to fruition as Vadim Namkov was able to put together a much better body of work over 25 minutes to get his hand raised by decision. Romero, again, this is a guy that relies heavily on his power and his uh, you know ability to stalk his opponents and break them from distance rather than utilizing his wrestling background to try to grind these guys out from that top position. He's also one of those weird fighters where it looks like he's starting to slow down and he's looking like he's tired but still has the ability to just explode into his punches and into takedowns and complete them even if it looks like he's about to cough up a lung but in this matchup I think it's ultimately going to be the aggressive style of Tiago Santos that allows him to make it look better optically for the judges for him to get his hand raised on the scorecards Romero will be landing some shots and I think he is uh, capable of hurting Tiago Santos and possibly even winning this fight on optics from hurting Tiago Santos enough if he doesn't knock him out but I think it's going to be the continuous work of Santos with his leg kicks with his combinations from distance that likely gets him the edge over Romero here this is a matchup between two guys that are close to hanging them up I have to give this slight edge to Tiago Santos not with a ton of confidence though but I think he wins this matchup on the scorecards 
All right, next up, we got Bruno Capaloza coming in at plus 475 as he takes on former Bellator light heavyweight champion Vadim Nemkov, who comes in at minus 650. Now, Capaloza is one of those guys that utilizes his early explosiveness to try to hurt and finish opponents. We saw him in uh, last season actually get uh, outpointed by Matthias Scheffel, um, who, sorry, I believe it was the season prior to that, where Sheffield was able to take the big shots of Capaloza early, but really start to take over in the last two rounds with his output and his cardio advantage, and he was able to beat Capaloza on the scorecards. Obviously, Capaloza was able to exact his revenge by knocking out Matthias Sheffield in April, but unfortunately, he had popped for steroids after that and was disqualified from the rest of the 2023 uh, PFL season. Capaloza is a guy early finisher or he starts to slow down now you can kind of use the anti-Delia fight where he won 25 minutes and still ended up getting his hand raised as a reason as to why he's not that bad of a you know a guy that can go 15 minutes if he needs to but it all comes down to the level of competition he's going up against somebody that can put him on the back foot somebody that can make him work somebody that can put him on his back and that's exactly what he's fighting in a guy in Vadim Nemkov now, I'm still surprised that Nemkov decided to let his light heavyweight title go. The guy's still young enough. He's only 31 years old. It didn't seem like he was having many issues making the weight either. So you got to wonder why he's deciding to go up to heavyweight. Regardless, he'll likely have a speed and uh, overall MMA skills advantage over the heavyweights he's going up against, which is why he probably made this decision. And the possibility of fighting Francis Ngannou, if he can get enough of a winning streak going, is probably enough for him to be like, you know what, screw it. Let's try to go for the money fight. But I think he's far superior to Capaloza here. I think his wrestling will be, allow him to take this fight to the ground and grind him out. Uh, maybe even posture up and get a TKO late in this matchup. But I think the former Bellator light heavyweight champion cruises in this matchup without too much issue. Obviously, a little bit of threat early going with Capaloza's power and strength. But I think that we'll see Nemkov put him up against the cage and eventually on his butt and grind him out from that top position, sucking him of his energy and then winning this fight on the scorecards. Next up, we got another lopsided, uh, in, at least in terms of odds, matchup here, where we got Ray Cooper the third coming in at plus 475, going up against Jason Jackson, who comes in at minus 650. Obviously, Jackson, the current Bellator welterweight champion, he's supposed to go up, go up against the current PFL welterweight champion, which was Magomed, Magomed Karimov. Magomed Karimov having to pull out of this matchup. I think a lot of it had to do with how quickly this fight was being put together, hence why he had to pull out. But this is a pretty easy matchup, in my opinion, for Jason Jackson. A lot of it having to do with the fact that it seems like Ray Cooper, who has won the PFL tournament twice, I believe, is now sleeping in satin sheets and all that, right? Like, this guy's coming into the cage with not much, um, with not much motivation, it seems like. Um, first of all, uh, he made his return after a 16-month 16, 16 hiatus uh, in his last matchup against Derek Brunson, one coming up from welterweight to middleweight at 185, and even missing weight at 185. Big red flag there. And now he's coming, uh, and he got grinded out in that matchup. Uh, a fight that he should have had a cardio edge over Derek Brunson. He had some decent success in the beginning of that third round, but ultimately got reversed, and Brunson was able to grind the rest of that fight out and utilize his wrestling advantage to win that matchup. Whereas Cooper... Uh, now, taking this fight, um, 
I believe on somewhat short notice, again, because of Magomed Karimov pulling out. But again, catch weight, 182 pounds. Is he going to make weight come Friday? That's going to be another big question mark. But I think that Jason Jackson holds all the advantages in this fight. This guy is way closer to his prime. This guy will have a legitimate wrestling advantage or at least the ability to grind out Cooper, especially considering what we saw Cooper have to go through with Derek Brunson. I think Jackson can stay safe enough from the punching power of Cooper early, eventually grind on him, push him against the cage, grind him out pretty much. And win this fight on the scorecards. I completely understand why he's such a massive favorite in this matchup because I don't think Cooper is in his prime anymore. I don't think Cooper is taking this seriously at all. He's made his money, let the man fly off into the sunset. He's young enough still, right? He's not that old, but it just seems like he's overcompeting at this point in time. Let's see if he ends up making weight, but regardless, Jason Jackson should be able to go out there and do absolute work in this matchup. Give me Jackson by decision. All right, moving over to one of the most intriguing matchups that we have on the card, where we have Patrizio Pitbull, uh, the current featherweight champion, coming in at minus 170. He goes up against Gabriel Alves Braga, who comes in at plus 145. Now, this matchup was originally supposed to be Patricio Pitbull against Jesus Pinedo. Pinedo having to pull out due to an injury, and in steps Braga, who was the runner-up in the PFL featherweight tournament, and who was actually supposed to fight Aaron Pico earlier on in this card. A big storyline going into this matchup is the fact that uh, a day or two before this matchup was announced, or at least the fact that Braga was fighting on this card was announced, his father got murdered in Brazil somewhere, and it was obviously a very sad story, especially when you realize how crucial of a a coach and motivation uh, factor that his father was for him. Maybe he's taking this fight in his honor now, uh, staying in the matchup, you know, wanting to go out there and, and really channel the emotions of uh, what he went through over the last couple of months into his fighting and possibly trying to make his father proud with a big win. You know, even if it was Aaron Pico, still a solid win, but to go out there and do it against a, a Bellator featherweight champion would be a big feather in his cap as well. Now, Pitbull is actually on a losing streak for the first time in his 42 fight career. Uh, he's on two back-to-back losses, the first of which when came back in June when he tried to take on Sergio Pettis and become the first ever fighter to win titles in three different divisions in a major MMA organization. Unfortunately, it seemed like the weight cut got to him a little bit and Pettis was able to be way more effective with his striking in that spot. We saw Pippo try to implement a grapple-heavy approach in certain rounds, but was unsuccessful in doing that for consistently for him to actually go out there and win that fight. Pippo, in my opinion, has had a beatable fighting style for a long time, but some fighters just fight into his strength sometimes, or sometimes they make big mistakes. One of those fights in particular was the Adam Borix fight, where to me it seemed like Borix was going to be able to use his output and his volume from distance effectively until he continuously tried throwing flying knees that Pitbull was able to catch and translate those into takedowns, and then he was able to grind uh, Borix out for the majority of those rounds. This is a fight where Alves Braga could potentially use his range and his distance striking style to touch up Pitbull while staying away from the pocket where Pitbull is very effective in terms of landing his his punches. Usually Pitbull is quite stationary. He stalks his opponent by moving forward and then throwing big strikes when he feels like he's close enough. But if he's unable to get into the pocket with some of these guys, he kind of struggles to get get off on his offense. And I think that Braga, I get it, the the Pinedo fight, not the best of looks for him, but Pinedo utilized a lot of lateral movement, a lot of feints, a lot of output in his own right, and that's how he was able to get to Braga. I will say this, though. 
I thought it was a little bit of an early stoppage in that Pinedo and Braga fight, considering, you know, the stakes that were on the line. A million dollar paycheck was on the line for both guys. And the referee, you know, I thought stopped it a little bit too early. It was a standing TKO. Yes, Braga was rocked. He was hurt a bit, but it seemed like he was trying to stay in the fight. You got to give the guy the opportunity to stay in it. But the referee did not. But that was the first loss in Braga's career. This kid is still very talented. He's still young enough to go out there and continue to improve. Time will tell what the death of his father will do in terms of his career moving forward. I could see it as a potential motivating factor for him to go out there and showcase the best of his abilities. In this matchup, as an underdog against featherweight champion Pitbull, I could see Braga touching him up from distance. And as long as he stays away from the pocket exchanges and is able to stuff some of the takedowns, he has solid takedown defense and ability to work right back to his feet. If he's able to stop that from Pitbull, he should be able to chip away at him from distance with his calf kick and his volume and pick up a decision victory here. Plus 145 on Braga, in my opinion, is a solid line here, and I'll be taking a shot on him as the underdog. All right, next up, the first of the legitimate champion versus champion matchups. Again, reminder, only three rounds. Makes no sense to me. Should be a five-rounder regardless. Three rounds here where we have the light heavyweight PFL champion Impa Kasanganai coming in at plus 375, Johnny Eblen coming in at minus 500. Now Kasanganai was able to defeat Josh Silvera en route to that million dollar paycheck that he got in November and that was a matchup where he utilized his striking advantage as well as his defensive grappling skills to keep the fight upright and completely squash Silvera in that matchup. I believe it was a third round where it seemed like Silvera seemed to be completely defeated because he was unable to get off on any of his own success. He had some good success early in the second round, but it was quickly thwarted as Impa Kasanganai was able to work back to his feet, reverse the position, and start getting off on his own damage. Kasanganai is a talented fighter who deserved that million-dollar paycheck and is a guy that should probably still be in the UFC considering the skill set that he has. But he's had some slip-ups, and unfortunately for him, I don't know if he would have ever made it into the rankings in the UFC. Probably he would have been like a top 25 to top 15 guy. He has striking, which is, I believe, his bread and butter, but he does have a developing grappling game that he can implement if that's what's required. His opponent this weekend, Johnny Eblen, in my opinion, is the best middleweight on the planet. I think he beats Drakus Duplessis. I think he beats Israel Adesanya. I think he beats all the top middleweights, given how well-rounded he is. This guy is a wrestle-first fighter, but has been in tremendously improving his striking game, which has allowed him to go out there and beat some very tough competition, especially in his last matchup against Fabian Edwards. Edwards seemingly was being successful in the fact that he was able to keep that fight upright but it was just a matter of time as Eblin was continuously working into that space landing those big shots and eventually grounding Edwards with a big shot in the beginning of the third round and some vicious ground and pound with his elbows that ultimately got Eblin the TKO victory but Eblin continues to improve his striking game which will make him even more dangerous against opponents that try to take him uh, or try to stop his takedowns and try to strike with him you're going to assume that Kasanganai wants to strike with him and Kasanganai will early have a good enough takedown defense game that he'll likely force Eblin to take this fight on the feet and try to strike with him but I think as this fight starts to go into deeper waters we'll see Eblin really wear on him up against the cage and then be successful with dragging this fight to the ground where he'll have complete success in terms of holding him down and landing big shots from that top position but even if this fight takes place in the striking room for the full 15 minutes I think Eblin has enough tools in his toolkit to go out there and touch up Kasanganai even if he roughs him up against the cage and controls him there while he dirty boxes uses his elbows and uses his knees that will cause Kasanganai a lot of issues here 
I think Kasangana is talented. And out of all the you know big underdogs that we have on this card, he might be one of the most live. But I still believe Eblen has a far superior skill set in the total MMA sphere of things. And I think it's going to end up being too much for Kasangana here. And I think Eblen grinds him out over three rounds and gets his hand raised on the scorecards. And that brings us to our main event where we got heavyweight champions Henan Ferreira coming in at plus 100 and Ryan Bader coming in at minus 120. Now, I was kind of surprised to see the line as close as it was as I thought Bader would be a little bit bigger of a favorite, but it seems like there's a lot of people that believe the other way around too where they think that Ferreira should be a bigger favorite considering the size advantage that he'll have here, the power advantage that he should have here, and his ability to possibly keep this fight upright as Bader will be the smaller of the two, but... I think people are overlooking the technical wrestling advantages that Fajera will have in this matchup. People are saying, hey, look at, you know, Fajera went out there and knocked out Goldsoff. But the fact of the matter is every matchup starts off in the striking room. That's without a doubt. That's where Fajera is most dangerous. But we saw when Goldsoff was able to get this fight to the ground, how quickly he was able to get to dominant positions and really start raining down big shots on Fajera. Technically speaking, I think Bader is a better wrestler than Dennis Goldsov. And even though he doesn't have the size uh, and strength that Goldsov has, I think that Fajera will struggle to keep this fight at range. And I think he'll struggle to keep this fight upright. In my opinion, I think we'll see Bader utilize his big winging hooks to try to crash the pocket and then push Fajera up against the cage and slowly and methodically look to drag this fight to the ground. And I think he can wear on Fajera over 15 minutes to get his hand raised on the scorecards. Of course, I'm starting to understand why the line is as close as it is because of the punching ch chance that Fajera has. But if that's his only path of victory in this matchup, I don't care that Bader's 40 years old. Bader's 40 years old at heavyweight, which is fine by my books. You see heavyweights going into their 40s and still being competitive. And I think Bader has a good enough wrestling game to still be competitive at this age and at this stage of his career. I think Bader goes out there, grinds out Fajera, gets these takedowns a lot easier than people are expecting him to, and he grinds his fight out and wins on the scorecards. There you guys go. Breakdowns for this full PFL versus Bellator card. I quickly want to tally up how many Bellator fighters I'm picking over PFL fighters because it feels like I've been picking mainly Bellator fighters. So let's go Bader, Eblin, uh, okay, not Pitbull, Jackson, Nemkov, not Romero, McKee, Pico and Kralis is Bellator versus Bellator, Walsh versus Palacio is PFL versus Can, Shields versus DeSantis is PFL versus Can, and Alcatani, Rao, PFL versus Can. So five out of the, how many matchups is that? Five out of seven? Five out of the seven matchups I'm picking Bellator over PFL. Seems like they have the better. Um, roster overall, especially at the high-level end of things. But I think that Bellator reigns supreme here. So there you guys go. Full card breakdown for PFL versus Bellator. A ton of other great content coming throughout the week. Uh, again, if you're looking for regional breakdowns for Cage Warriors and LFA, which goes down on Saturday, as well as ACA, which goes down on Sunday, you can find that on the Lock of the Night Patreon page. Check the link in the description below for that. Otherwise, I will see you guys tomorrow for the Quick Picks Breakdown for UFC Mexico, as well as the Lockheed Two-Step, which is on fire this year. Free parlay, that drops Thursday evening. And then Friday, the three best prop bets as well. Appreciate all the love. Appreciate all the support. And uh, drop a like and subscribe if you haven't already. All right. I'll see you guys tomorrow. Peace.
last thing. Bah.